Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the Penn State Football Podcast. This is your host, Donnie Collins, with me, your other host, Sam Freeman. I think we're both from the Scranton Times now, Sam. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Sam got uh, a new job in the same company where he's doing the same work. Right. Congratulations. Thank you very much. (laughs) But yeah, we're here to... We're here to talk about a lot of things going on with the Penn State Nittany Lions uh, since the Peach Bowl ended. And we got to start with the transfer portal, Sam. We'll, we'll get to the, the national championship game with the two Big Ten teams. The two teams now are officially in the Big Ten. Uh, Washington and well, Michigan's been there for 190 decades. But Washington's in the Big Ten now. And, you know, a big national championship game on Monday night. Big win for Michigan. Uh Big for the huge for the Big Ten, huge huge night for the Big Ten. We'll, we'll discuss that in the in the second segment. But first, I want to talk about the the transfer portal, which directly affects Penn State. Is and, and, and it's become you know it's kind of the silly season now for for college football, where you have essentially let's call it what it is. It's free agency. Everybody's every, anybody can go wherever they want, whenever they want. There's no contracts. If you want to play for a different team next year, you can go do it. Uh, you don't have to stay with that team. You can leave again at the after the year, but. It is a fast way to to fix holes on your team, and 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 Penn State. I think you want to break it down player by player. We can do that, but they they've addressed some holes so far with Julian Fleming, who announced while we were recording the show last week that he was coming to Penn State to play his final season out, and and I believe Nolan Rucci, the uh, tackle from. Amish country. I think he's from Lidditz. <laughs> I, I, I know he's from down that way, but he was a major, major prospect a couple of years ago, ended up going to Wisconsin. And these kind of big prospects that got away from Penn State at the time, and it was a really big deal, uh, went to other schools in the Big Ten, have now kind of come home to, to Penn State. Rucci over the weekend announced that he was going to, I guess, sign is the word with Penn State out of the portal. And there's going to be another couple this week from every indication they're going to get another couple a couple of cornerbacks here we, we we will discuss them once they announce inevitably in the next half hour while we're recording this but <laughs> it, it's going to be a, a a nice haul and that's not not to to leave out chase meyer the, the kicker from tulsa who's going to be i i would guess in the running to be the starting kicker so, so sam what what do you you know when you, when you look at the what, what they've done in the portal it's not what other schools do. It's not going and just any anywhere you can improve a little bit with a little bit of money, throw some NIL at some kids, bring them bring them in. This is more of a strategic what do we need kind of approach for Penn State. But they've got some guys who and I saw somebody I, I, I forget who tweeted it out this morning. But if you look at the rankings that they had coming out of high school, Fleming and Rucci, you know, and I and I don't pay much attention to the rankings, if any, probably none. But if you look at it, the rankings they had from twenty four seven Sports would put them in the in the top ten Penn State recruits of all time, Rucci and and Fleming. So, do these guys come in and help immediately? In in, in your mind, I don't know how what Fleming really brings. Uh, he he didn't show explosion to me at at Ohio State, but you know, you, you look at it. He's he's a leader in that room, and, he, and he's going to be a guy with 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 a voice and with you know with, with some direction. Who's been to where Penn State wants to go? So I so I even if Fleming to me doesn't play well or doesn't make the big kind of impact people look at, it's a great signing. 
Rucci's kind of in the mix to me, though. There's a, there's a it's a really deep offensive line position next year. You got a lot of guys who could play tackle. There's there's not he's a true tackle, but there's not a, there's there's going to be a lot of competition there. So, so I want I'm kind of interested in in your thoughts because the names here, the quote unquote names, register as these guys are going to be big players. Do you feel that way, or, or, or do you do you think that this is going to be a a situation where these guys are going to come in and make an immediate impact next year. Well, I mean, I think ever since the Dante Cephas transfer and the expectations that were sort of lofted on him, you know, you, you have to take every transfer with incremental steps. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it, it's it's not a it's not a massive step to expect some sort of contributions from a Rucci or a Fleming or, you know, whoever it may be that they end up bringing in um, because of the way that they, they handled the transfer portal. You know, it, I, I, like you said, as opposed to making any sort of slight improvement that they can, it feels very targeted. It feels like if James and his staff bring somebody in, there's a concrete purpose for it. This isn't just, you know, social climbing. This isn't just, you know, Penn State is a bigger brand than I was previously signed to. So now I'm taking a further step up. It, it, it doesn't seem like they really get involved in a lot of that. Even, you know, you look at a failed transfer like Dante Cephas. You look at a failed transfer like Storm Duck. Both of those guys, you know, were at least factoring into their evaluations of those position groups. Like you said, I, I think Fleming brings a leadership quality to this team partially because of, you know, just his tenure. But I really think Fleming is happy to be there. Everything that he's been, and I I guess there's a political aspect to that, but everything that he puts on social media seems like he's happy to be back at Penn State. It feels like a, a reunion of sorts, even though he was never with Penn State, you know, officially. It, it feels like a sort of reunion. And so having a tenured receiver who wants to be there wants to be in that room, I think is, you know, that that's, that's something that you, that, that's the sort of culture builder. That's the sort of, you know, a, emotional leader that you can rally behind. And I, I think the offense as a whole needs that. Um, I, I think the receivers especially need that, especially after, you know, the, the, the disappointing position season that they had. So it's, it's hard for me to say what impact they'll have in the box score, in the stat column, because as we saw, you can very easily jump to conclusions. We, we don't know how he's going to mesh with Drew Aller. We don't, for Fleming, as an example, we don't know how Rucci is going to fit into the room. But I, I, I think that the fact that they were headhunted by this staff indicates that there's at least the hope that they will be contributors in some way. And, and like you said, maybe it'll be in morale, maybe it'll be in, just a competition at certain positions. But I, I think those are tangible. Those are tangible ads, even, even if they don't show up in, in a 15 touchdown season for Fleming. You, you brought up something that I think I hadn't thought of before. And I'm not sure you even meant to bring it up, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> I, you know, you look at the, the failed quote unquote, transfers and it you know Cephas didn't play well he, and he was he was brought in to be a difference maker and he didn't make a difference for the, <laughs> for the most part and storm yeah. duck i had forgotten about i forgot about storm duck 
and yeah, he probably wasn't going to play very much. And there's a reason he he, he walked out. And whatever that is, we don't know. And it, and it really didn't matter. They were number one defense in the in in, in in the country. But does the failed addition kind of stick with Penn State? I, I guess is my and you do see it in the in the free agency sports, baseball, football. You you see guys brought in. I remember one year the Steelers years ago brought in Legarrette Blunt as a as their second running back. And I thought that's a great signing. Legarrette Blunt's a power running back. He that's what the Steelers like to do. And it was a miserable fit. It just didn't work. It was terrible. There are there is a certain hit and miss to free agency and in the free agency sports that they've never had to deal with in, 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 in college football. If, if it didn't meld with a guy, with, with a guy in a program, you simply never played, but now you bring in a guy and it doesn't work. Now it, may, now it looks, makes you look foolish. And Penn state brings in Cephas who doesn't work for whatever reason. And storm duck who doesn't work. And it, it is something that people talk about now, you know, Oh, do they know what they're doing? But you look at the transfer portal guys, Penn state's always brought in. And they've been great. Jordan Stout was a transfer portal guy. Uh, Falcons was a, was a transfer portal guy this year. The, the, you know, Norzad played a lot. Eric Wilson played a lot. Mitchell Tinsley was a was a great addition to the team. You, you, you forget that Mitchell Tinsley played anywhere else because he was that big a part of Penn State. So they've had, I think, when you when you break it down out of the portal, a lot of success. And you know, I, I kind of do wonder if the if the Cephas thing sticks with them a little bit, if, if some of these guys don't work, because I'm not saying it's 50-50, you're going to do a better job than that, but they have done a better job than that. But is 90-10 good enough out of the portal these days? I, I think it's worth a discussion because 90-10 gets you what you had last year, which is a position that, 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 can't, that can't hack it. Well, and I, I think 90-10... Is, is a different hit rate for different schools. And what I mean by that is the, it's, it's the way that Penn State approaches the transfer portal to me, where a, a Cephas seems like a failure because of what he was expected to do. And I, I don't think that that was just unfair fan expectations. I don't think it was unfair media expectations. I think that's what Penn State brought him in to do. I think he, you know, he was brought in to be Mitchell Tinsley and, and he just didn't. Where I, I don't know that a school like Ohio State or Georgia, whoever it may be, maybe approaches the portal in that same way. I, you know, is Malik McLean a failure? I don't think so, because I think Penn State brings him in as a developmental receiver, which is how I think a lot of these top programs are using the portal. So if you hit on 90% of the developmental transfers, that that feels way better than, you know, a 90-10 split on starting caliber players, because you really feel that 10%. If, if it's a 10% you know, if you fail on 10% of your starting ex- expected transfers, if I can figure that out in my head, you know, it it's, it, you, you feel that. You feel Cephas's struggle. You know, when when King, Kalen King and, and Johnny Dixon miss the, the Peach Bowl, you know, you, you miss somebody like a Storm Duck, for example. You, 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 you miss sort of a, a, a starting caliber corner uh, who, who's prepared to, to play. And so when, when you look at, you brought up the LeGarrette Blunt example. I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. So I remember, I think it was 2020, the Cowboys signed Everson Griffin from the Vikings. And the defense was was really struggling. And I remember thinking, this is golden. This is perfect. And of course, that was the year that the Cowboys defense was like historically bad. It was the year right before they got Micah. And, you know, 
they they brought in Everson Griffin because he had all sorts of stats. He had all these. He had, a, he had ten years in the league or whatever. And then I, I midway through the season, he was. I think the report was he was he was causing some sort of mutiny in the locker room because it was, you know, he, he didn't he didn't like the losing. He didn't like the 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 historically bad defense. He didn't like this. He didn't like that. And so the Cowboys had to to deal him. You know, six weeks into the season or whatever it was, send send him to the Lions. Now the reason I bring that up is similar to why you bring up Blunt is I wonder if this is, you know, Cephas and Duck. I, I wonder if this is Penn State's wake-up call a little bit with the transfer portal. You know, they, they've already been selected in some form. You know, we, we don't see them, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're being selected because we don't see this massive influx of transfers come in. And the ones we do, we sort of expect to, to have big roles at their position. I, I wonder if this will change the way that they approach, you know, I'm not indicating Cephas or Duck were, were you know, trying to create a mutiny or anything like that in the Penn State locker room. Don't don't read between the lines too much. But I, I wonder if that changes your approach. It swings that big that that pretty immediately fail. You know, if, if, you, if we look three, four years down the line and Malik McLean turned out to be a nothing, you know, I don't think you look at that the same way as, you know, man, we really thought we had, you know, a, a, a nickel corner in, in Storm Duck or whatever whatever they, they were expecting, a, a wide receiver too in Dante Cephas. I, I don't know. I, I feel like they, they have to I, – I think they have to look for fit. And to me, that's what they find in a Julian Fleming. It's what they find in a Rucci – partially because of their history in, in trying to recruit these guys. And, and you know, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, whether that's good, whether that's bad. But to me, I, I think that there's the foundation of a relationship there. And I think that that sort of thing's important. And, you know, I, I think it's a good move on Penn State's part to sort of dip back into the well that they, they created previously. I asked James, and this is going back to December 15th, whatever the, the media day was for the, for the bowl game. And I, I asked James about fit and it was not in relation to players. It was in relation to Manny Diaz because I got a lot of players had told me, you know, it's, it's as good as he was as an X's and O's guy. It's going to be difficult to replace the person he was. So I asked James, how hard do you have to go after fit over scheme or vice versa in a, when, when you're replacing a coordinator and he gave me the, a really great answer because it is the harder thing to find. And it always is. And, and especially if you're going to look at it from a transfer portal perspective with Penn state, who isn't going to bring in 20 guys and they aren't just going to go out and, and flash money around and, and with NIL and say, Hey, come here and, and just come in and join this already loaded rooms, things like USC and, and Ohio State does, Where, whereas Ohio State doesn't care about fit. I mean, they bring in Quinshawn Judkins, <laughs> and they have Travion Henderson. They're, they're going to have Travion Henderson, you would think. And the their view is, who cares what Travion Henderson thinks? If he if he doesn't like it, he could go. Or if Quinshawn Judkins doesn't like it, he could eventually go. But we want to have both guys because that gives us the best chance to win. We'll figure all that out later. Where Penn State strategy doesn't allow that. It allows you to bring in one guy, two guys, or whatever it's going to be, at whatever position, to try to make a difference. But if you're bringing in one guy to make a difference, like Cephas, 
And you mentioned Masifas and McLean are two different guys. I don't I don't think we can look yeah. ahead in four years or, or look in four years, look back and say McLean was a was a bust by any stretch because McLean's already a really good special teamer. So McLean has has lived up to some degree of usefulness for Penn State. Maybe he, he might not be Randy Moss, but he's <laughs> he's he's a he's a special teamer who helps you. Cephas wasn't even that. And when you're bringing in Cephas to be the guy who absorbs targets, who makes big plays, and he doesn't do it, you, you've set your position back. And and there, there's a lot of things, and I don't want to pin that all on Cephas. It, it's not all his struggles that led to the, to, the, to the receivers not being all that great this year. I mean, Keandre Lambert-Smith wasn't present down the stretch. Uh, don't know what happened to him. Uh, Harrison Wallace was hurt for a lot of the year. So there, there's a lot of reasons why that didn't work. It's not just Cephas, but if Cephas was a, was a fit, it's a different story. It just is. And when you, when you have the, the portal and you're, you're looking at bringing in guys and you're looking at, Hey, Hey, we, we're going to add one offensive lineman. We, we, we're, that's what we're going to do. We like what we have, but we're going to add one guy. He does kind of have to be a fit. <laughs> you know, it, it, and, 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 and I, I get that Nolan, Nolan Rucci is a guy they, they know well. They they feel they know him well enough. He knows the Big Ten. Uh, I'm not. I don't believe he played all that much at Wisconsin, but he wasn't going to be a guy who went in immediately and you plug him in and play. So there's going to be some development involved there. And 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 I think with Rucci, he doesn't even, he doesn't have to play. I I think you have yeah. enough offensive linemen. But but Fleming is, is a little bit of a a different story. Whereas he he can't be a guy who comes in and doesn't lead that group. He's got to be a leader, even if it's if it's 20 catches, 200 yards, and that's what he gives you on the field, he has to be a leader off it. So there does have to be a a, a fit there, a personality that works. And, and I, I think some of the things you said were right, where Fleming seems to be into this. He This is this is a homecoming for him. He, he's putting a lot into it, kind of like a Trey Potts. I, I kind of look at Fleming in the same way I look at Trey Potts. He's a guy who can come in and help. But if you're counting on him to be the guy, I don't know what you're getting there. So this is a different kind of approach to find somebody who could be helpful in a position where you need a guy that, that, that Penn State's looking for with, with, with Fleming. And, and, and look, there's going to be another portal opening in a couple of months here. I think it's May where they can go up, go in and swoop up a receiver if they want. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they get one receiver out of this, this group and it, it, it's Fleming. And, and I think they, would have loved to have gotten a guy who like a, like a Trey Harris who went to Ole Miss last year, a guy they wanted uh, who goes and really makes a difference against them in, in, in a bowl game. And it has been a, has been a really good receiver in the sec. I think they would like to get a guy like that. It was a couple of years left, but Hey, those guys are obviously very difficult to find and, and secure. So I, I, I think Penn state's done a good job with that in the past, but yeah, it's interesting because the Cephas thing yeah, it, it makes you wonder how does it change anything about the way they the, they approach building the roster? Because not that Cephas was a was a bad guy. I didn't. It didn't strike me as that at all. He just didn't play very well and, and didn't pick up the playbook and, and it just didn't. It, I hate to keep using the same word, but he wasn't a fit. So it, it is it is something that they're going to to have to look at moving forward. And yeah, I, I guess we can focus a little bit on the offensive line to get off the receivers. We talk about the receivers. It seems like ad nauseum. I'm tired of those guys. <laughs> but uh, 
You, know, you look at the offense. I was I was trying to kind of put together a, a starting five offensive line next year in, involving Rucci. It's it's difficult because you have a lot of different combinations that they could go with that that involves him that doesn't involve him. That you know you have you could have J B Nelson as a starting guard. You could have him coming off the bench. You could have him as a starting tackle. You know, there's a lot of guys who play a, a lot of different spots, and I could see why. Yeah, I don't think they needed to add Nolan Rucci. I I, I I'm not too worried about him for them because I think they know what they're getting. I I think that's a I think they they're taking a safe gamble there. But you know that's a position next year where I, I think a lot of people believe that Penn State's fortunes on offense next year hinge on the offensive line. How do you replace Olu? How do you replace Caden Wallace? How do you replace Hunter Norzad? Uh, could you improve at some of those spots? I mean, you're not going to improve at left tackle, but you could improve it at center. You can improve at right tackle. And where does Rucci fit in? Does he fit in next year? Uh, I, I think that's the the one position I think going into the offseason I'm I'm most uh, intrigued about. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the past two seasons, the offensive line has been in a really good place. Uh, you know, that you can nitpick and you can pick certain games and, and certain mistakes and whatever it may be. I I think as a whole, the unit has felt pretty strong, especially compared to Penn State offensive lines in the past. I I think it's difficult to to look at what Troutline has done recently. And, you know, you can't be too upset with, with, with Troutline. Um, That's, that's been, it's been one of their, to me, one of their strongest units. Um, and, And then you look at just, just the amount of, of depth, that they have at those positions. And, and sure, a lot of these guys maybe won't see the field in, in a meaningful capacity this, this season, or, or they didn't last season, but you know, you, you, you look at the, the young guys behind, I mean, you know, this season, you obviously have the Olus, you have the Caden Wallace's, you have the Sal Wormley's and the, the Norzads and every, every, everybody like that, you know, but, but you have, you have the influx of new talent with, with Drew Shelton and, J.B. Nelson and, and, and Vega, but even behind them is, is more where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, that third tier of, of, of player in that room, you know, the, the Donkas, the Javen Williams, Alex Birchmeyer, you know, that the future seems really bright in that room. Now, again, we, we just talked all about managing expectations and, you know, and fit and stars are certainly are not everything. But good offensive linemen are difficult to come by. You, you see that, you know, the biggest difference to me between the NFL and, and the spring leagues is, you know, the, the skill positions, whatever. You find somebody fast who can play running back. It, it's, it's not a huge deal. But to me, the offensive line, the, the, the gap between a good offensive lineman and an average offensive lineman is very noticeable. And they have a lot of potential to harness a lot of good offensive linemen out of this room. And, and and that's what I'm most most interested by in, in the coming season is, you know, how do, how do some of these guys that never saw the field or or rarely saw the field, how do they factor into the new plan? Because, you know, if you're Penn State, you're you're disappointed Olu's gone, but you knew Olu was was gonna go. You know, you're 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 just happy he didn't leave last year, and and, and you know he, he's one of the best we've ever seen at the offensive line position, but. Now you have all of this unknown, untapped potential behind. I, I'm very interested to see what they what they do with it. it. To me, it seems like, you know, even if you have two or three guys miss in in, in that unit, 
there, there's still a, a lot to go back to. Yeah, depth was a big issue for these guys coming out of the sanctions, all all that stuff. I remember that was the old offensive line coach, Matt Limegrover, uh, Herb Hand, those guys wanted everybody to play every position because they needed to be able to plug and play. They just didn't have scholarships there. So maybe I'm comparing this to that, and which is a, which is an anomaly, but they seem to have more depth on the offensive line than they do at any other position right now. I, you, know, you, you look at Javen Williams is a good example. I, I don't even know what position Javen Williams plays, where he's going to be. <laughs> I, and, and this is the, this is a guy who came out as he was really one of the top two or three prospects, whoever you look at, at on the on the offensive line in the country in the in the 2022 recruiting class. And everybody I know who's seen him play says he's dynamic, and he really doesn't have a spot yet for Penn State. I, I, you would think he's a he fits in at left tackle. But is he going to play left tackle next year? I think that's Drew Shelton's spot. He's got a. Uh, I feel so bad for Drew Shelton because he's got a really difficult job. He's going to be compared to Olu at every <laughs> turn. And, and and look, you go back and look at the Peach Bowl. People say, "Oh, you know, Drew Shelton's got a lot of work to do here." Drew Shelton's a really good player. He's just not Olu. Olu <laughs> never allowed a sack. You know, and, and Shelton's going to be fine. But is he blocking Javen Williams's path? Probably. But the good news with Javen Williams is, you know, he projects very well at guard. Except you got Vega there. You got you got uh, JB Nelson. You, Wormley's going to play, so he didn't come back to to be a backup. You know, he's coming back to play, and and you have a lot of guys who fit in there. I don't know where you know, Birchmeyer is a guy that nobody talks about. I, I I looked at him on film last year and thought, you know, coming out of high school, Birchmeyer had a, had a really good chance to be a, a dynamic offensive lineman, and he very rarely gets talked about. And I will say this: before the the Peach Bowl, I was on the field, it's kind of you know looking and seeing what was going on, and I was watching Olu just kind of staring at Donko, and he's going through. You get to, I, I said he's going to play tackle in this game, Donko, because he was working out with the tackles, and but it was kind of a one on one thing with with one of the, you know, one, one of the analysts, one of the, one of the assistant coaches with Olu working with him. So Olu's really taking an interest in what Donka could do. And I thought he looked good in that game. I I, I think he could, you know, he's a he, he played guard all year. They, they moved him out to, to tackle in the, in, in the bowl practices. And I thought he looked fine. And, and he could be a, a guy who fits in at right tackle better than, you know, a guy like Shelton would where Shelton's more of a, a pure pass protector. He could run block, but I, I think he's he's more of an athletic guy. Donko's going to go out there, and he's going to be your road grader at the, on, on that side. So I, I I think he fits there. And, and adding him into the mix with with Rucci and, you know, and, and J.B. Nelson could play tackle. I, I, I think there's – you're looking at four or five guys who could play tackle. You're looking at five or six guys who could play guard. And I, w- I want to hear from you, Sam, on this because – Who's the odds-on favorite to be the starting center next year? I, it's it's I, a lot of guys there. I have no idea. <laughs> it's tough. It's yeah. tough because, like you said, there, there's so much. There's so many people that we haven't really seen see the field. And and you know I I don't believe that's because, you know, that they don't see anything in them. I just think it's they they've had so. I mean, who's gonna why why would why would Norzad come off the field? For one of these guys it's not a knock on those guys it's just you know we you can keep them you can keep them 
wrapped in their bubble wrap so you can unwrap them when it's time to use them. Yeah, yeah Norzad, I thought, Norzad was, to me, a, a, a subpar pass blocker. But he could really block the run. I, I, I thought he was a, a big reason they ran the ball so well down the stretch. So, so the, I, Norzad, to me, is not a guy you take off the field. He's your plus. He's your center. You don't take you don't make a move at center unless it's an, an injury related move during the season because the center has so many other responsibilities. But yeah, I mean they got yeah. they got Vega in there to get some work at guard with Nelson. Nelson was hurt enough that Vega played a lot. You had Olu played a ton, but Shelton was playing a lot uh, because there's no reason to keep Drew Shelton in the bubble wrap. He played five games the year before for a reason. Uh, And, you know, he ends up going out and and, and I thought he had another good season, but you're right. I mean, Javen, Javen Williams didn't play. Birch Meyer didn't play much. Donko didn't play much. Jim Diono didn't play maybe at all. Uh, he he might've gotten in a, a little bit. Dawkins is a guy who played a little bit as the season went on. He, I guess he'd be the guy you could factor in as a, as the starting center, uh, this year, maybe the odds on favorite, but I'm not sure it's a, it's heavy odds for him. I, I think there's going to be a, a heck of a competition there. Uh, Cooper cousins comes in with this recruiting class. If there's a, if there's an offensive lineman who could play early, it's him. He, he is a, he's a big man. He's, he's strong. He he's technically sound. He's going to come in and do a, a good job immediately. I think he'll be in the mix there. It's just, it's a, it's an interesting off season for the offensive line because there's a lot of questions, but a lot of potential answers. And, you know, look, Phil Troutwain's done a good job. He, I, th- I think a couple of years ago, fans, some in the media, frankly, wanted him probably gone or wondered if, if he was doing as good a job as he possibly could have been. But, you know, this guy has brought in some top talent. He hasn't really missed talent-wise. Some of these – I think this is a position, too, where you you have some guys who aren't, go, aren't going to play a ton, and it's not because they aren't good. It's because there are better guys ahead of them. I, I, I really think that they have that many guys there. And, I, and I'm sitting here trying to – think of some of the guys that they have that I'm just not thinking of because I know I've missed a few, but, <laughs> but they have a, they've had a, a, a bunch of good players who've shown that they could go in and start and you don't, you don't miss very much when they're in there. So, so I, I think again, very interesting off season for those guys, because I, I think that's the one position they have a chance very under the radar. They have a chance to be better next year. And that's saying a lot because they are replacing an all time. And and Olu is I, I think if you look at kind of talking about who are the you know, the all time Penn State offensive line or, or or the of the last forty years the 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 Penn State offensive line you're 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 kind of looking at you know some obvious players at guard uh, you're looking at some obvious centers who could who could be in in there but I, I think Olu is your left tackle I don't I don't think there's any question that Olu is the best tackle you've had in decades so you're going to be replacing a guy who has that kind of gravitas in the in, in the locker room with with you know statistically with coaches all of that and I, I still think they could be a lot better on the offensive line next year than than they were even this year I I think they have a lot of uh, you know they're going to be a more athletic let's put it that way I want to take it full circle I I think that that's part of why Penn State approaches the transfer portal the way they do you know, taking swings on those contributing players right away, as opposed to, you know, maybe the Ohio State method, which is just get as much talent as possible and and figure it out. Um, you know, I, 
the tight, I'm going to make a comparison to the tight ends real quick, but you know, and it's a little bit wonky because the tight ends have a little bit more of a clear pecking order, but Andrew Rappel, Rappelia, I'm sorry. Rappelier, I, I think it this. is. Yeah. Rappelier. Hey. Uh, <laughs> he a tweeted, lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I tried my best. I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> um, Frequent he, he listener recently, to the show, Andrew Rappelier. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can, uh, you can email me, Andrew, if you have a problem. Um, he, he tweeted a couple of days ago, you know, one of those typical athlete quotes. And it said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And mm-hmm. Jaywan Sider was in his replies, sort of, you know, boosting him saying, you know, talk your talk. And, and I, I think that's the culture that Penn State has established, right? To me, you know, and I'm, I'm now reading into things, but based on the support of the coaching staff, based on, to me, that was a defiant tweet, you know, in support of Penn State. It was, I'm not, yeah, I, I haven't seen the, the, the field much. But I know what I'm doing. You know, I, there, there's a path to my success here. I, I don't need to leave. I, you know, I, Penn State churns out tight ends. They churn out quality. I'm going to wait my turn, and I'm going to step up when it's time because I'm, I'm getting the development that I need. Now, again, there's a clear pecking order with the tight ends. The offensive line is a little bit more of an open competition right now in the state of flux. But I think you see that with, with the offensive linemen, with, with the J. Ben Williams, with Donka, with Ono, with Birchmeyer, with whoever it may be. Yeah, they could leave, but, but Penn State has laid the groundwork where, why would you? You, you? The reason you're not playing isn't an indictment of your skills now. It's a, it's a testament to the development of the guys in front of you, and you could be that someday if you stick around. And so why, why would they mess with that formula by bringing in you know, five-star rejects from, from other schools who, who, who redshirted their freshman year and just want a new program. I, to me, it makes sense why Penn State approaches the, the portal the way they do. And I, I think it, it will pay dividends, at least culturally. Who knows about on the field? Th- things change so quickly. But to me, I, I think that's their strategy. And I, I think it makes sense based on the way they've handled things. It's key positions. Yeah, the tight ends are a really good example with the portal. I, I, I can't think of one that they brought in. I, I I might maybe I'm missing somebody, but could you think of a portal tight end that they brought in? They haven't needed to. There's no real reason, but but some programs would. And, and there's been some really good tight ends in the portal that Penn State just you know you don't even think that they're going to to go after. But to, to what Rapplier said, you know, he's a guy who could, you know, he could play this year. I guess I, he'd be right now third in line. But they're bringing in a a five-star tight end in this recruiting class who everybody thinks is a Mike Kosicki kind of player. Luke Reynolds is a, he's one of the better athletes in the country and to, to bring him in at tight end. And you would think he's going to play. I, I think that the point of what he's saying is, and it's a good one. You look at what they have at that position and look at Khalil Dinkins. You think Khalil Dinkins wasn't good enough to play? He could yeah, start for 95% exactly. of the teams in the country. Khalil Dinkins is a great player. And, he, and he's shown that every time he's been out there, he's performed very well, but he's been behind Theo Johnson. He's been behind Tyler Warren and he's waited his turn. And while he was waiting his turn, he got better. And, and Rapley, was, you know, it, it, for, for those who were at my recruiting talk in, in old forge with the Scranton chapter last year with the alumni association, will know this. He was my top, uh, my top prospect in the class last year. I, I thought he would have the best career. And yeah, you, you, you work hard behind the scenes, you wait your turn and you accept what your role is. 
yeah, that's development. But I don't think a lot of players understand what development is or want to know what development is these days. And they just kind of go from like a napkin in the breeze from place to place, looking, you know, hoping they can get whatever they can get while they can get it and, and, and that, it, that it all works out in the end. But oh, I'll do a Khalil Dinkins did. <laughs> he's going to be an NFL draft pick someday and, and he's going to be a good player and he's going to be a good player this fall. So I, I, I think Rapley has got the right idea. And, and that's I think Penn State's got the right idea in the port. Sam, second segment, we'll talk about Michigan, talk about Washington, talk about the whole deal. See you guys in a second. Sam, one thing I want to get your thoughts on before we go on to the national championship game. Kalen King is the first junior, the only junior, I guess, to be invited to play in the senior bowl at cornerback. <laughs> and it's it's interesting to me that juniors can now play in the senior bowl, but uh, they're just going to have to rename that to something else uh, down the road because it's, it's it's just inaccurate. We don't love inaccuracies here. Any any thoughts on that? And, and here's my my question for you. And it's just a it's just a question. If he can't play in the Peach Bowl, why could he play in the Senior Bowl? Yeah, I mean, I I said before the Peach Bowl that I kind of thought Kalen King was going to play because I thought, and I still think, Kalen kind of needs to have a, a a strong performance going into the draft because I think, you know, he, I, I think he's outside the first round right now. I mean, I'm, I'm not an NFL executive, but... I think he started the year in the first round, and I think he ended the year outside of the first round. So I thought he was going to play in the Peach Bowl for that reason. Uh, he did not. So on one hand, I'm I'm not surprised that he's trying to get another game on film because that was my point. Is I think he needs, I think he needs a strong performance against a strong player, a strong opposition help boost him ahead of the combine presumably he'll he'll be invited to and participate in you know everything like that with pro day but yeah I, you know look i get it i get opt-outs if i was in the position of a potential first second third round pick i would opt out of of a bowl game i also get the fan side where, they, where they're upset uh, but i you know it's it's hard for me to be too upset with players knowing that you know, I, I would make the same decision. That said, to me, it kind of loses me when you know you you, you go and you know, you, you, presumably you're you're opting out of the Peach Bowl to, to protect yourself, to protect your health, protect your stock. You can still get hurt in 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 the Senior Bowl. You know, it's I I don't know. It's to me, it's a strange choice. I I don't believe this is the case. Let me preface this by saying that I do not believe this is the case, but I, I think that you open yourself up to a criticism of potentially being afraid of Ole Miss um, and their receiving core. You know, I, I think that, that you, you risk putting that out there um, to executives and stuff like that. You're ducking that game so you can control the environment in the senior bowl. Again, I, I don't think that's the case, but I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if, if that was seen that way by some, I, I don't know. I, I don't love it. I, I get the first choice. I don't get the second choice, frankly. Yeah, I, you, you mentioned something I hadn't thought of. You know, maybe he considers that he should have played in the Peach Bowl and, and didn't get that game on film. And now he needs one. 
uh, that that's possible, I guess. I, I and you know, I, I want to preface what I'm going to say with this, which is the Senior Bowl is a week's worth of practices, and they they do some drills there, and and every NFL team sends head coaches, scouts, the whole bit to uh, I think it's in Mobile to uh to watch the Senior Bowl. And and that that is where a lot of the the, the top senior prospects and and Kalen King, a junior, play at their postseason game and 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 they go down there and and, and everybody watches it and it's and I get it that's it, it, more than just a a game it's it's practices that scouts watch it but there were a lot of scouts at the at the Peach Bowl there were I mean I I didn't jot the list down probably should have but I didn't expect this was going to be a kind of an issue but. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot to prove in the Peach Bowl. I mean, Ole Miss has some great receivers. I mean, you know, Harris, Wade, you know, th- those guys are big time. And it would have looked good if Kalen King had played against them and 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 shut them down. I I have not seen many first round mock drafts where Kalen King is is included right now, and he was in the beginning of the year. Uh, and I don't put any stocks in the ones that that are put out in the beginning of the year because he's still got a season to play but yeah you know, i i look at it as kalen king did not help himself in by not playing in the bowl game and and i and i will also say this i like i like kalen kalen's a great kid uh he's the one guy who i think everyone was led to believe to some degree would play that didn't uh olu never said he was going to play olu said he'd be at the game with his teammates uh Theo Johnson, Adisa Isaac, both said they'd play. They did. Didn't say they were going to play the whole game. They played half the game. Whatever. Uh, Chop Robinson never made. He never even left Detroit with the team. So, so he wasn't going to play in the game, and that was obvious. So, Kalen though said, you know, they they made the big announcement on the on the Tuesday after the day after Christmas, where Franklin said, you know, we we had this plan worked out and. You know, it, you know, we we discussed it with the family, and there's a plan worked out. And if the plan was anything but not playing, Franklin should have said he's not going to play. So I don't know who fumbled the ball there. It was Kalen late or Franklin early, but somebody fumbled there, and it it, it looks bad. It it looks it looks bad for for Kalen King that he's going to play the Senior Bowl, which is important to him, and not the Peach Bowl, which is important to his team. And to me, if I'm an NFL scout or an NFL head coach, that would play into it for me. That that this is a, this is way more about himself than his team. Now, I will say this, and this is going to be controversial. If it were my son, the moment I knew he was a first round pick, he wouldn't he would be done playing college football games. And I don't care if that's the Peach Bowl or the national championship game. Not playing it. I had no chance. I am not risking life changing money for anybody. Anybody in this position, I'm not risking that to play a, a championship game for dear old state. I'm not doing it. I think that's the one thing that that gets me here about the, the opt outs. And I don't I don't blame anyone for opting out. I don't I didn't blame Caitlin King for opting out. Certainly didn't blame Olu for opting out. I, you know, he gets hurt in that game. It doesn't look good for anybody. It doesn't look good for James Franklin. Doesn't look good for Penn State. Doesn't look good for the Peach Bowl. Doesn't look good for Olu. And and and, and to a degree, it's the same thing for Caitlin King. Who I I I don't think Olu could have improved his stock in that game. I think Kalen could have. So I think it was kind of a nearsighted decision for him. 
but I get it. And I understand. And I, and I am on board. I would not let my kid play in, in, in that game. I would not let my, I wouldn't let my kid play against Washington for the national championship either because there's no benefit to it. Why? What's the, what do you, what did JJ McCarthy get for, for risking his, his knees and his, what could happen to Abdul Carter? And I keep bringing it up. Michigan's got a lot of good players on defense. One of them takes that hit, you know, it knocks him down two, three rounds. It, it, it just does. And I, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw that much money away when I was that close to it for, for any reason at all. And, and, and I, I almost respect that more than I do. I'm not going to play the peach bowl, but I will play the national championship game. Why? It, it, why? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It, 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 it's, I, I, and you hear it all the time. Well, the, these, these new year's six games are meaningless, but this one is meaningful to who that's meaningful to the same people. That the peach bowl is meaningful to. It's meaningful <laughs> to the athletic departments. It's meaningful to the head coaches and it, it's meaningful to the fans. Am I, am I way off base on this? I, I, I just, I don't understand why people are, are saying that, that these championship games or, or the, the playoff games are untouchable. Lane Kiffin said they're not. He's, he predicted it. You're going to have people asking for money to play in these games. The bottom line is that's the way this is going. And I'm surprised it's not there yet. I, I, I admire the, the Washington and Michigan and Alabama and Texas players who decided that for no good reason, they're going to play that game when nobody, when no one's going to play the peach bowl or no. And I get it. Peach bowl is quote unquote meaningless, but let's see how meaningless it is. If someone gets hurt in, in, in a semifinal game. Well, I thought your column about that was really good. I, I, I agreed with, with, you know, your point just now, of I, I'm surprised that, you know, we haven't gotten to the point where JJ, I'm not picking on JJ McCarthy, but what was stopping JJ McCarthy from saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not playing the championship game unless I get X hundred percent. And then what are you going to do? You want your national championship? You're, you're probably going to need your starting quarterback to do so. All the I leverage mean, is with JJ McCarthy right there. All right, the leverage. And it's the natural, they have to pay him whatever he wants. Goes. Yeah. And I'm with you with, with the opt outs. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it was Zaki Wheatley's dad on, on Twitter was was tweeting about it, and he, he said the same thing. He said, "Now he he so he he said that his advice would be if if Zaki was lucky enough to be a first round pick by the end of his career, he would advise his son to opt out." And then he said that, that Zaki reached out to him and said <laughs> that may not be the case, but I think that you're seeing that sort of um, that push and pull is I, I'm fully with you. On, on the opt-outs. If, if my kid was, you know, I'm 22, so, you know, kids are a far ways off for me, but I, even now, you know, I, I can tell you if, if my kid was a, a first round pick, I'd be telling him sit out because it's not, it, it's the money is a huge piece of it, but it's, it even goes further than that. You know, you're, you're, you're potentially risking to me, you, you go into college football, for a lot of these kids with NFL aspirations, with legitimate NFL aspirations, the dream is to make the NFL. I'm sure Abdul Carter enjoys playing college football for Penn State. His dream is to play in the NFL. I guarantee it. You know, it, I, I don't believe he would be satisfied if his career ended, you know, today because he got to play in a Rose Bowl and he got to play in the Peach Bowl briefly and everything like that. You know, his goal is to ultimately play, play professionally. But why would you risk that? And two, I, I'm with you on on it looking bad for everybody. I don't think that helps Penn State either. You know, I, I don't love the fact that, that the bowl games are missing stars and everything like that. From a viewer's perspective, I think it hurts the product. But I, I don't begrudge players 
And from a strategic standpoint of the actual program, if Olu goes in and blows out his knee, that that reflects poorly on James as well. Mm-hmm. It, the, the whole locker room is going to now reconsider how, how they approach bowl games, for example. You, you may not have a Daquan Hardy playing because they just watched Olu blow out his knee. But then also, you know, James to some degree has a responsibility. Parents entrust their kids' well-being, their development, their futures with a college coach when they drop them off on, on day one of, of camp. And so it's, it's ultimately James's responsibility to, to, you know, it, it, it ensure that, that Olu is, is protected. You know, his job is to develop Olu into a first round left tackle. And, and, you know, it's, it wasn't all James. It was, it wasn't all Phil Troutwine, but it also wasn't all Olu either. You know, it's, it's a perfect, it's a perfect uh, situation and, and you, you can't let Olu go out and play that game for all the reasons that we stayed. Even if, you know, I, I, I don't know Olu. I, I don't know if he wanted to. I don't know if he wanted to opt out. I don't know anything. But, you know, as the head coach of the program, you, you have to make sure that, that Olu does more for the program getting drafted in the top five in April than he does if he plays that whole game and gets hurt. One of the things that I was I had an issue with when we were covering the the Peach Bowl is afterwards, without having talked to James, I had seen so many tweets and so many articles already written that you know everyone wants to click during the game. Everyone was writing that oh, Olu Fashionu, uh, Kalen King opt out of the game, but we don't know if they opted out. After the game, it became clear they opted out, but. It was at that point they yeah you know, Olu was on the sideline in full pads pacing around he he I don't believe that if, if I think if it was Olu's call Olu's going to play but there's it's not just Olu's call it's it's Olu's family's call it's Olu's representation's call it's common sense's call to a degree and it and to a a, a very big degree it's also James's call and you know I I get it. Saquon played the bowl game. Saquon played the Fiesta Bowl, and I thought it was nuts because he was going to go one or two in in that draft. No question. And he goes out and gets, what, 15, 18 carries, whatever it was in that game, and didn't get hurt. And that's a great thing for James Franklin and for Penn State and for Saquon to go out and have that kind of – because he broke a 92-yard run in the Fiesta Bowl on national television, what was a very fitting end to to a great college career. But to a degree – I don't know if James could carry that into another season without considering the luck factor in that where you know, <laughs> he didn't get hurt. That's why you can do it. You, you, you could say, you could tell all these guys, well, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll, we'll play you minimal snaps, which they did with Adisa Isaac, which they did with Caden uh, Wallace. And that's James taking care of those guys. But a lot of good. It does Curtis Jacobs. If he gets, if he gets hurt in the first half, it, and and yeah. then one of those guys gets hurt, and it, and it hasn't happened to Penn State. It hasn't happened technically to Penn State. But one of those guys gets hurt in a bowl game, and that whole, you know, yeah, we don't have guys opt out thing ends. That's over. And and you can't blame anybody for it. And and I say technically because Abdul Carter got hurt. Do you think Abdul Carter's going to play the bowl game next year without some assurances that he's going to be taken care of if he gets hurt in that game? And 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 I'm I know Penn State hopes that it's going to be a a, a playoff game or a tournament game or whatever they're going to call it, but if I, I think that's going to be really interesting. If they, let's say they're the the 11 seed, they're playing the sixth, 
Yeah, Abdul Carter isn't going to ask for something to play in that game. He almost they they took him out at the knees in this game, in the Peach Bowl. Why? Why is he going to do it? What 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 financial benefit is there for him? And and look, what what let's say Penn State played in the semifinals again. What is the benefit? What's the upshot to Olu Fashion who playing in, in any kind of playoff game? He's not going to improve his stock. He's going to be one of the top 10 picks in the trade. He's going to be the first tackle taken. The first team that wants a tackle is going to take Olu. It's not like he's going to play so well that somebody who doesn't need a tackle is going to take him. He's going to the first team that's taking a tackle. And I get it Yeah, that you wouldn't want to play that game. But I, but I then don't go understand why you would go out and play the Senior Bowl because I think to go to the Senior Bowl and practice in front of the scouts, you then have to play in the game. I, I think that's part of the deal. Uh, with the senior bowl. So Kalen King's going to play in that game. And I don't know if he's going to play a, a better receiver than he would have seen in the peach bowl. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting call on, on his part and, and not to delay the Michigan talk, because I know everybody's dying <laughs> to talk about Michigan winning the national championship. But the other side of that coin is going to be played out here. And I, and I think one of the more intriguing stories of the, of the off season here is, is Talia Tagovailoa, who's asking for, Another year of eligibility because he really didn't mean to play in five games back in 2019 or whatever year it was at Alabama, where he went into a he played in five games, which technically burns your red shirt. Even with the relaxed red shirting rules, you can't play in five. But his argument seems to be, I'm a college student. I want to stick around in college football. I want to play. I'm I'm going to study my start my graduate studies and I want to play and he's going to go to Miami if the, if this is I mean this is pretty much public information if he's granted that sixth year or whatever it is he's going to go to Miami he's going to play in the same city that his brother plays in and I'm sure he's going to make a boatload of money I, I'm sure that Talia Tagovailoa sat back and did the math and thought if I come out this year into the draft, am I, am I going to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks taken? Maybe not, but I can make a heck of a lot of money in college football. So the other side of the coin here is you have guys who who realize, hey, I'm not going to be one of the top seven picks in the draft, but I'm a really, really good college player, and I, I could still be a student for a while. It, it, what is this going to do to eligibility in, in college football? I mean, it's been forever. Four, you got five years to play four. COVID changed that. You now have six years to play five or whatever it was if you if you were around in 2020. But if Tagovailoa gets his way here, are there going to be red shirts anymore? Or as long as you're taking classes, are you going to be able to play college football? Because I, I think that's going to be the next step because this guy knows he is absolutely a higher commodity in college football than he is in the pros right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's... It's a fascinating nuance to the college game, to the, to the NIL impact. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of all of it. And I, I There's got to be repercussions for everything that, that we haven't even considered yet. I mean, when, you know, when NIL was, was introduced, you know, when, when players were no longer banned from, from making money of any kind, you know, there, there was a lot of... You know, there there was a lot of moral grandstanding from people who supported it, and there was a lot of uh, you know sky is falling apocalyptic rhetoric from those who who hated it. You know, there wasn't a ton of in between, and I don't know. I think a lot of the 
a lot of the things I'm fascinated by as college football changes is in that in between. Is it a good thing that Talia is is going to extend his career another year and 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 sort of play another season as a rent a quarterback? I don't know. It's certainly different, though. I, I don't. I don't know that it's good. I don't know that it's bad. I don't know how I feel about it. I, you know, because on the one hand, you know, Tolly is a, a good college quarterback. You know, it, who's to stop him from playing if he has eligibility? Why? Why should he go into the NFL if he if he doesn't have to? If he, if he feels like he can better himself in a different way, and then on the other side. You know, that, that limits the pool of quarterbacks that, that are going to get looks. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a younger quarterback out there who is not going to get playing time because Talia is, you know, maintaining that spot. Maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not. I, I don't know. It's all, it's all way too new for me to have a, a concrete opinion of, of, of it. You know, it's, it, it's very interesting. It's, it's, you talk about the, the sort of hypothetical pay for play in the playoffs or in bowl games. You know, maybe that increases the amount of star power that's in these bowl games that, that seem meaningless. Maybe, maybe you know, the, the those who are disappointed that the bowls are going away, there's an easy path. You open up the checkbook and you, and you can have exactly what you want. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if it's bad. I, I, I just don't know. It's all way too new. There, there's a, there are a lot of things that, you know, I, I had a lot of opinions when NIL started, good and bad. There are a lot of things that I didn't consider were going to happen or beginning to. I don't know. It's 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 very fascinating to me. With with the with the advent of the transfer portal, does Michael Penix even become a you know a a, a first round pick quarterback, Heisman runner up, um, you know, arguable college football legend in, in some fashion? You know, it's you know, legend might be too strong of a word, but. My my point is, you know, Michael Penix maybe doesn't reach his ceiling without the advent of the transfer portal. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know, but I just know it's different. At Joe Burrow, I mean, if if there's no yeah. transfer portal, nobody, nobody, think about it. Nobody outside of Ohio remembers Joe Burrow for anything other than being Penn, uh, Ohio State's backup quarterback. Nobody knows him. If if Joe Burrow was born ten years earlier, he's not an NFL quarterback. It just is a fact, and. And that's why I say the transfer portal is great. There are some things about the way college football is going right now that I love. Because I, I think the transfer portal is one of them. Because if I want to go to four different schools in four years as a traditional student, I could do it. And yeah. it doesn't, you know, if I want to go through the hassle of moving my credits around or whatever, I can do it. Why can't a football player? Why couldn't a football player ever do that before? Never made sense to me. LeVar Arrington, we, we had a... A, a really long discussion with LeVar at the, at the Peach Bowl at the College Football Hall of Fame. And one of these days, we'll talk about that. Back when I was in college, LeVar was the biggest star in college football. And you couldn't walk around campus without seeing 10 LeVar Arrington jerseys, which LeVar Arrington profited $0 from. Yeah, you're going down to the, to the clothesline or to McClanahan's and you're buying a number 11 jersey. You're not buying, oh, it's this random Penn State jersey. It happens to have a number 11 on it. It's LeVar's jersey. They've been profiting off of these guys who've gotten nothing for it for too long. But there's also these other ridiculous arguments that come up <laughs> that are offshoots of it. And one of it is, one of them is, why can't I, you know, I, you know, I get it. I played in five games and the, the, the threshold is four, but I really only meant to play in four. I don't want to play in five. I kind of want to, 
go back and do it over. If I had a time machine, I wouldn't have played in the fifth game. No, let me play. And he's going to win. I, I, I think the feeling is he's going to win this argument and get a sixth year. You, you get you get to that whatever, whatever year it is. And when people would traditionally be done, now he's not. So if it applies to Talia Tagovailoa, it applies to everybody. So you're going to have people arguing, hey, I'm, I'm a college student. Why can't I play college football? And that argument in itself makes sense why is there eligibility why can't you just play as long as you're in college and now that if you're going to pay some guys hey it's a pretty good job i could see this going sideways on the ncaa and, and i think a lot of the problems here are the ncaa is sitting on its hands on all of this so it, it is what it is the ncaa is just basically waiting for somebody else to take charge here whoever's going to run college football someday and and that's going to be that. But until then, you, you know, there's precedents that are going to be set here that are potentially dangerous for, for college sports. And look, it's not just football is going to is going to adhere to it's going to adhere to basketball, baseball. You're going to you know, it, it, it's going to be a it's going to be difficult. It's going to cost colleges a lot more money to do this. And some are going to be willing to pay it out. So so I, I think it's just it's, it's going to be a going to be interesting where, where, where that goes. And speaking of interesting, we'll, we'll finally get to Michigan here because it's important to, to kind of discuss that Michigan won the national championship, the, the <laughs> big Ten's first national championship since I believe 14 when Ohio state won it. My buddy, Corey Geiger brought this up on Twitter and I thought it was great. Washington scores 13 points against Michigan. Penn State scored 15 and fired Mike Yersich the next day. <laughs> so <laughs> does this make you feel better about anything with, with Penn State this season? Uh, what, what Michigan did in this game? Or, because Penn State fans are going to say this. They thought in 2019, 2020, they, were at, they had surpassed Michigan. That Harbaugh, at that point, Harbaugh was struggling. Penn State was beating Michigan pretty regularly. And it's it's all turned around. In, a, in an instant. Now Michigan's become the national power. How do you feel about Michigan winning as a Penn State fan? Ignoring the fact that it's Michigan and you want them to lose because just because they're Michigan. I, I fail to see how this makes you feel worse. For all the talk of 10 and 2 isn't good enough. 10 and 2 this, 10 and 2 that. How about 10 and 2 with one of those losses being to the national champion and a dominant national champion? You know, that's Two years ago, that Penn State gets wrecked by Michigan. You know, it wasn't even close. And this past season, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly a, a close game either. You know, in, in terms of uh, efficacy, but it's baby steps for Penn State to catch up to, as you said, this this blossoming power in college football. A- Any time that one of your losses comes to the national champion, I. I feel like it, it has to make you reevaluate how you view that loss, if anything. I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I, I get it. Like you said, Penn State fans are are probably to some degree unhappy that a rival, you know, wins the national championship because you don't want to see your rivals do well. But it, it changes how you hold that Michigan loss, in my opinion. And also, it, Michigan winning the national championship perhaps changes their talent composition. I mean, there's now reports and rumors of Harbaugh considering leaving for the NFL with nothing left to accomplish at Michigan. You know, you have players that feel like they've done their job and they're going to enter the NFL draft. You know, 
perhaps this this creates an opening for you as Penn State. I don't know. I I, I get it. I, I get all that we as as I've said ad nauseum throughout the season. I understand the frustration with ten and two. I understand that. Hey, you know, uh, Penn State was was toe to toe with Michigan, if not ahead of Michigan, and now all of a sudden Penn State finds himself third. And, and, and there's even more teams. The national champion runner-up is going to be in your conference now. I, I get all that. But, you know, simply when you're trying to find where Penn State lands among the top, the, you know, the upper echelon of, of college football powers, if you're only losing to, the, to a, a powerhouse national champion in Michigan and a, a consistent mainstay in, in Ohio State, there are worse positions to be in, and we've, we've thrown out hypotheticals all year to prove that. I think at the very least, Michigan winning it pro- provides a template for how close Penn State might be. And I'm not saying they're close right now, but you could turn it around pretty quick. And, and I think Jim Harbaugh probably not getting enough credit, and there's reasons why we're not going to get into that but you know there's reasons why he's not getting enough credit for that but he did turn it around quick I mean they got a quarterback who's a winner JJ McCarthy I like quite a bit I I, I know he's there's there's issues with him and, and as a as a pro prospect but I think as a as a college quarterback who runs that system he's done a great job they put they've played tremendous defense at Michigan they showed I think in that tournament that Big Ten defenses are formidable and that that the rankings aren't a you know when you look at Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, right at the top there, Iowa even that it's not a it's it's not a product of bad Big Ten offenses. It's a it's it's a result of having really good defenses. Uh, you know, Michigan allows what twenty to Alabama in the semifinals and thirteen to Washington. That's championship level defense. That's that's what Penn State was right with all year defensively. Was was that level of defense, and and I, and I'm on the right. I, I thought Penn State at full strength would have beaten Washington. I, I I really really believe that, and 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 I, anybody who asked me, well, what's your prediction? I I predicted Michigan was going to beat Washington because you know Michael Penix he had a great year, turned himself into a a professional prospect. He's still Michael Penix, and and, and Washington has some really good receivers, but that's that's a guy Michigan has seen before, and I and I think in that game. You saw Michigan do some things against him to slow him down that you see teams that have seen him before do. Yeah, I picked Texas to win that that tournament. They were probably the least impressive of the four teams in there. And <laughs> so shows you what I know. But but Michigan was the one team that was able to do what they consistently do all year long. And they did it last year, except for the one except for the semifinal game with with TCU. But they play their style. They, they they run the football and they play defense. And I think it's a good template for Penn State because Penn State has that ability right now to run the football and play defense. And I could they win the national championship in two years? I I don't know. Probably not. But could they be right there? Yes. Could they could they do what Michigan did? Yes. I I, I think they're they're a good candidate to be the next Michigan. Uh, to to be the to be the team that kind of goes old school and just out toughs teams, that that's that's right in their wheelhouse to do that. And they get capable quarterback play at times, and I think they have potential with Aller to get better than capable quarterback play. So I I think that Michigan winning the way they did it, 
how they did it, not just in that game, not just this season, but the last couple of seasons kind of shows you the path Penn State needs to take to get there. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's will they win the national championship? Probably not. Could they? I don't see why they couldn't. They have more than enough talent. We we spent the first segment talking about the way that they attack the transfer portal, the way that they have depth at key positions. Um, they have untapped potential in Drew Aller. I still think, and I I, I still think that, that people in the program believe that. Um, you know, JJ McCarthy is is a good quarterback. I, I, in that game, was it was his quarterbacking ability the reason they won the national championship i don't think so it's not a knock on jj it's just it's honestly more of a testament to michigan and how well-rounded they were and how they just you know out schemed and and dominated washington and and, you know i again that's easier said than done it's a lot easier to to say those words than it is to actually apply them to your team but if you're penn state i think you look at this game and go you know why why couldn't that be us they have the they have the necessary qualities, not the sufficient ones yet. Yeah, I, I think the brilliance of Harbaugh in, in some ways is that he doesn't change. He stays the course. And even even with this sign signal stealing scandal or whatever it whatever it is, he's never changed. He, you know, we didn't do it. Obviously you did it, Jim, but we're just keep pressing forward, singularly focused on winning the next game. We're going we're gonna to build the defense. They're not getting the top recruiting class every year. They're getting guys that fit the way they play. They, and, and they're strong. They're, there's not a position where Michigan's weak. Or where Penn State had a, a weaker receiving core, Michigan has a decent receiving core. Are they NFL caliber guys? Yeah, I get, I guess. But they're not Marvin Harrison. They're not Ohio State's guys. They're guys who fit the system, and and Harbaugh knows how to how to build a a team that he can win with with what he does best. And I think that's the difference between him and James right now. You wonder what are they doing? What is the way they're going to win? And I don't really. I, I think that's one thing I don't have a feel for with Penn State is how they're going to win. I, I think I know how they should approach winning, which is with the defense and with the running game. But they still, in the big games, go away from the running game. They even did it in the in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing with it. I, I think James has to define what's Penn State's bread and butter. How could they win consistently? What's the way to do it and and, and stick with it and be unapologetic about it? And I think that's what Harbaugh did that that other coaches haven't done. It's what Ryan Day hasn't. I'm not just picking on James. Ryan Day hasn't done it either. So I, I think Michigan winning the national championship, great for the Big Ten. It's annoying for Penn State fans, annoying for Big Ten fans. Uh, but, hey, great for Michigan, great for the conference. And I, and I think it is good for Penn State. I, I think it, it sets a path on, on what they have to do to get there. Sam, we're running out of time. I didn't realize that. I was going on and on. Thanks for joining us again this week. Thank you for having me. We'll be back again next week. Well, I promise we'll, we'll talk about Drew Aller next week. I, I, I promise. Or, or, or somebody else. We'll, we'll, we'll do something like that. So hang in there with us. See you next week. This is the Penn State of Football Podcast. Thanks for joining.